Good morning, everybody else. That was a little better. Um, I've actually already had someone tell me the memory verse for today. So, uh, Bobby, your wife did that. So if you want to come up and she told me to have you pick something out. So if anybody else knows the, uh, the memory passage for today, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. Go ahead and stand up now and we'll go around and do our... <clears throat> oh, Miss Carrie joining the fray today. You don't want to go first? Okay. All right. Okay. Boy, it's a good thing I loaded up at Lifeway. Okay, this is good. So, uh, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> I have also found this is the easiest way to get the room seated. That is, uh, we are ready for class. So, uh, anybody want to start in particular this morning? Stephen? All right, fire away. These words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. Yes. You shall teach them diligently to your children yes. and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Bam! Look at there. He was going to nail it today no matter what. I could tell. That was great. Yes, ma'am. Always remember these commands I give you today. Teach them to your children and talk about them when you sit at home and when, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Absolutely. Very good. Great job. Ms. Darla? And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Absolutely. Very good. Great job. Thank you much. Mr. Sean? See, misdirection. Makes people just uh, like, nervous oh, enough oh, to forget the first okay. word. Yeah. So. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk walk by the way, when you rise up, when you lie down, and when you rise up. I was going to say, you can lie down first, then you rise up. Yep, good. Excellent. Great job. (laughs) Miss Amy? In these words I command to you today, shall be in your heart. You shall speak of them diligently to your children. You shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Absolutely. Very good. Great job. Miss Carrie, all right. I'm excited today. Me too. Fire away. These commands which I give you this day, you shall hold in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Yes. And you shall um, speak of them when you walk, sit in your house, and right. walk by the way, yep. when you lie down, and when you rise up. Fantastic. Very good. And Miss Bree. These commandments which I give you today shall be in your heart. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. I like that. That's pretty good. And keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing and keep pressing. Oh, press with your hand, right? Not with the fist, yeah. Okay. Talk about them when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you get up and when you lie down. Absolutely. Very good. Fantastic. Great job. So those of you that were wondering what in the world that was all about, each one of these weeks that we have been uh, going through uh, this particular series, Systematic Theology, there's that we're using Wayne Grudem's book. Uh, There's a Bible passage at the end of each chapter. And if you can say that Bible passage, sometimes it's one verse, sometimes it's two verses. Uh, a couple of the passages later on, maybe even three verses. Oh, no, we can do it. Uh, then there's a free gift for you uh, to get. So I knew nobody would get Lecrae. I bought this just to see if anybody would get it. Nobody got it. So. You've already got it? Nice. There you go. Um, your son keeps telling me he's the best artist on the market today. So just, maybe I'll listen to it today. I don't know. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's look at um, Romans chapter 10. We'll start there. Uh, I'll give you a sec to turn there. So this is the, 
eight-week series on the Word of God, the doctrine of the Word of God. And uh, this is part three of four characteristics of Scripture. Uh, can anybody tell me what the last two weeks, uh, the characteristics that we studied? The clarity, yes. The clarity of the Scripture. There's another one. Mm, inerrancy. That was a kind of a deviation week. And the week before that was the... Authority of Scripture, right. So we've got the authority, the clarity, the necessity, and the sufficiency is next week. So, All right, so we're in uh, Romans chapter 10. We'll get there in just a second. Uh, Grudem defines the necessity of Scripture. <clears throat> he says the necessity of Scripture, here's your blanks if you're a blank filler. The necessity of Scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, and for knowing God's will, but is not necessary for knowing that God exists, or for knowing something about God's character and moral laws. Um, and, and one of the things that I think that makes this lesson important, uh, when you know how to rightfully use something, it helps us use it effectively, right? Even if we choose not to use it that way, if you know how it's supposed to be used, would you agree? Okay. So many of you know that if there's an issue at my house, uh, the answer to fix that issue is almost always what? What is it? <laughs> there's, a, there's one word. Caulk is the word, right. If there is a hole, we are going to caulk it. If, it. if it needs to be held together, we're going to caulk it. If I'm not really sure, I'm going to try caulk. And then we'll see. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to call Sean or somebody and they'll come over and help out. Um, the, so... So what day was it, Sean? Was it uh, Thursday of this week? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Thursday of this week, um, I get home and uh, I look under the hood, I look under the truck as I'm walking in, and there's like a puddle. Thinking, well, there's normally a puddle there. I mean, it's a 77 Ford, right? It leaks a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I, I took it to the shop one time, and they, I said, uh, yeah, it's leaking something. Can you... Can you fix that? And he said, well, which one do you want me to fix? <laughs> he said, it's leaking four distinct things that I can see. He's like, which one will make it not go forward and backward? He said, this one. I said, we'll fix that one. That would be good. So look under the, under the truck, and it's obviously very, very recent. And I listen, and I can hear something leaking. So I'll pop the hood, look, and the radiator has a pinhole in it. And antifreeze is just spewing out. And I'm thinking, the rate at which that is spewing, I'm probably good for a few days. But uh, there will be people that will be angry with me if I didn't let them know. So I took a picture of it and sent a text. And in 30 minutes, I had two people at my house ready to fix this. It was kind of cool. My initial response, however, was, I've got caulk. I can caulk this. And what went through my head was... At what point does caulk melt? Because that's going to get really hot. And I don't, I don't know that that's going to be a good long-term solution. So, so the guys came over and they, uh, it, you had some steel putty? Quick steel. What was it called? Quick steel. Quick steel, yes. You mix it up and it basically turns into steel and it bonds with something and it's great. And it, you know, put it on the hole and we're good. That was the proper use of the right solution, Right? I could have used my caulk solution, and I would guess that the next day I would be taking a picture of the exact same thing, now just with melted caulk on it, right? So if you know how to rightly use something, we can effectively and efficiently use it. So 
Um, so what is the Bible? What do we need the Bible for? So the first thing here, it works for, uh, it's the Bible is necessary for knowledge of the gospel. So Romans 10, we'll look at verses 13 through 17. It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if you want to come to the conclusion of faith in Jesus Christ, the initiator of that, the scripture has to be in that equation. You do not get around that any way, shape, or form. And some of you go, well, somebody told me what the gospel was. Yeah, and they got told from the scripture. The scripture is in that equation. You must have the scripture for the knowledge of the gospel. Um, you say, well, is this a New Testament thing? No, it's not a New Testament thing. Look at Hebrews 11.13. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.13. Who's got it? Hebrews 11.13. Dave? These all died in faith. Who died in faith? The people that were in Hebrews before 11.13, right? Yep. So these are Old Testament people that are talking about here. So these all died in faith. <clears throat> Go ahead. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Seen them afar off. You ever seen something afar off? You ever seen something afar off? So let's, let's do a little math for a second. Um, this is basic math, okay? Real, straightforward. Who, who groaned? Was it? Oh, okay. Oh, two people groaned. Okay. I was like, I thought I heard an echo. I didn't know why it was just two people. All right. So um, we live in the year what? 2014. So about how many years ago? Did somebody miss that one? That's awesome. That's fantastic. I thought it was an easy math problem, but okay. Maybe we'll feel free to take your shoes and socks off back there if you need to. Um, so we're 2014. Jesus lived about how many years ago? About 2,000 years ago. Um, and about how many years before that, approximately, did things get kicked off? Ish, ish, four-ish, in some change maybe, you know, depending on how you round certain genealogies in the Scripture. So uh, there's 4,000 years of people looking toward the Messiah coming, and there's been 2,000 years of people looking back to the Messiah. Um, so these Old Testament saints, they got saved the exact same way we get saved. It's faith in the finished work of the Messiah. They're just looking at it from a different perspective. So can I borrow you, Jesus, for a second? Okay, awesome. So Jesus is going to help me out today. So we need to be about right here, I think. Okay, can you stand right here, Jesus? Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Abraham, can you stand at the yellow chairs for me? Thanks. And I'm over, yeah. Had many sons and many sons had fun. No, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> that's your earworm for the day. All right, so I'm in 2014. I'm looking back to Jesus. Abraham! <laughs> Abraham's pretty low-key, right? Yeah. <laughs> ah, 
No, I have no idea. That's probably it. Um, so Abraham is looking a long way into the future. There is a promise that God has made to him, right? And how did God make this promise to Abraham? Does anybody remember? He spoke it to him. The word of God is what Abraham was resting on for the realization of the promise. And it didn't matter. This is the cool thing about God. It doesn't matter how far away the realization of that promise is. It is going to happen. Okay? And I can rely on a whole different set of things, but it's still fundamentally the word of God, looking back at the finished work of Jesus Christ for my salvation. Does this make sense? But it's all contingent upon the Word of God. All right? Does that work? Now, I don't think Jesus would ever have worn orange, but we'll leave that alone for another day. Thank you, Abraham. I appreciate that. <clears throat> I ha- oh, there it is. All right. I need this. All right, so Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, because Abraham, he never saw Jesus, right? He didn't receive it, but, but what? Having they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So, um, lots of fantastic things there. So Genesis three fifteen. Flip over to Genesis three fifteen. Um, it's even an older concept than just Abraham that that somebody's coming to fix things one day. Uh, the first <clears throat> engaged, really long conversation that God has with anybody in the Scripture is about their sin, which. Uh, should perhaps tell us something about the rest of the book. But in Genesis 3, verse 15, uh, who is God talking to in Genesis 3, 15? Somebody tell me the context here. Who is he talking to? Eve. Eve. Very specifically, he's talking to Eve. I'm sorry, hang on. No, no, no. He's talking to who? The serpent. The serpent. There we go. Thank you. He says, yes, right before he's talking to Eve. And I will put, what's your word? You may have a different word. Thank you. That's a great word. I will put hostility. This is, I do not like you, and you do not like me. How many of you really enjoy being around snakes? Anybody really enjoy? Right here. Some of you may. Hello. Now, <clears throat> so raise your hand again. Anybody else? Be honest. Completely fine. Two. How many do we have in the room today, Julie? How many do we have in the room today? 40-something. <laughs> Sometimes she counts at this point. Is that 40-some-odd, maybe? Yeah. Are, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> there are no snakes. And I, I kid you not, if you have brought snakes into this room, if you have brought snakes into this room, we are not playing with snakes today. Okay, cool. Just making sure. Oh, uh, it's a different church, right? If you go eight miles up the road on the... Li- no, sorry. Um, there is enmity, there is hostility between this serpent and the woman and between what? Your seed with a lowercase s and her seed with a big S, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There's all kinds of theological stuff going on here, but basically what's happening is a 4,000-year foreshadowing of there is someone coming who is going to deal with you one day. (laughs) I love these moments. You, you, You remember these moments in your movies that you watch, and you see, you hear somebody say something, and you go, I think that's going to come up later. I think this is important. This is one of those verses that you can put a little star by and go, this is going to come up later and it's going to be really, really important. This is an old, old concept that someone is coming to fix these things and it is all contingent on the words of God. 
It is not contingent upon anything else. It is contingent upon the word of God. So the necessity of the word of God for our salvation, for understanding the gospel, is critical. All right, so let's look at the next big bullet. The Bible is necessary for maintaining spiritual life. So let's go to Matthew 4.4. 4. <clears throat> Matthew 4.4. 4. Who's got it? Matthew 4.4. 4. Ms. Bree? What is? It is what? It's not, uh, it's not tech yet, it's not texted. Ooh. I think Bible verses would be shorter if it was all texting then, you know? That'd be kind of neat. Ooh, somebody should, no, they shouldn't. That's not good. Let's not go there. That was, thank you. Yeah, you saw where I was going, didn't you? Yeah. <clears throat> all right, so he answered in what? It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there is some component of life that is dependent upon other things. Would we agree with that? Even if you don't believe in God, you could probably agree with that statement. There's some component of life that's dependent upon other things. And when you understand what those things are, you can have either a healthy life or a non-healthy life. Now, um, I've got an example of this today. Um, about a year ago, where, where did we go? We went to that little place off the 24. What's it called? Barn. The Barn Nursery, yes. And, uh, and I bought something that was incredibly healthy at the time. <laughs> it was very, it was, it was really cool. I thought, this is something I've never done before. I'd like to kind of engage with this and see, try my hand at it and see how it works. And for several months, it, it actually thrived and was good and no problems. And about three weeks ago, about six weeks ago, um, my, my bonsai started looking really rough. And so I did what I thought I was supposed to do. I watered it more and more and more. I don't know if you even know anything about bonsai, but you, you can't let them dry out. This is really, really bad. Watered it more and more and more and more and more. And then I Googled, what should you do? And they said, don't overwater it. <laughs> I said, oh. So I let it uh, kind of dry out for a little bit. And then I Googled some more and they said, don't let it dry out. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. So this is my example today of something that I, right now, and if any of you are bonsai experts, I would actually love to talk to you for just a moment after class because I would love for this thing to thrive. I don't know what is necessary for its health and well-being, and you can see the results of my lack of knowledge. Okay? And I got a feeling, I've got a feeling that this is what we look like sometimes when we ignore the spiritual word that we need in our lives and we only focus on the physical food because this thing needs something that I haven't figured out. Obviously, right? I mean, yep. Four. Wow. I'll be a little more gentle with it. Does this make sense? Yeah. Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone. There is more that is necessary. 
So Grudem's comment on this, here's your blank, says to neglect regular reading of God's Word is as detrimental to the health of our souls as the neglect of physical food is detrimental to the health of our bodies. And this is a very old concept as well. This is a very old concept as well. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 47, you don't have to flip there, I'll, I'll read it to you. For it is not a futile thing for you, this is Moses speaking, because it is your life. And by this word, these words of God, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. And then 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter's talking about the scriptures. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So does anybody have a baby? You have a baby? How old is the youngest baby in the, house, in the room? Anybody know? Nine months? Nine months? Cool. So you go to Longhorn regularly, right, and order up a steak for Owen because Owen's ready for that at nine months, right? <laughs> Probably not, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's milk. There's a time where you drink milk. There's a time where you stop drinking milk only. And there's, those are different times, right? Okay. Um, it would concern you. I'm going to throw you under the bus here, dude. Sorry. It would concern you if you walked into the living room and you saw Justin drinking Owen's bottle. <laughs> right? It, and, and we laugh, right? Because that's nasty. <laughs> like, why would you do that? <laughs> like, that's really awful. But yet we want to sit here and only have milk for our spiritual lives and wonder why we stay little bitty babies that need to be followed around and people clean up after them and nothing ever fundamentally works right because we haven't grown up, right? I mean, this is a pretty basic concept. So this is a very old concept, but it's reiterated in the New Testament as well. All right, and then the the third big thing that the Bible is necessary for is certain knowledge of God's will. Um, Flip over to Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is a great, it's a great verse to keep in context of, uh, of Bible studies. <laughs> no vowels. That's funny. Um, I should probably not tell you this, but several of you text me during the middle of the lesson, uh, and sometimes I will answer those questions as we go through the lesson. So if you happen to have my phone number, you can text me, and I'll try to incorporate those answers into the lesson. Uh, and sometimes they're just ridiculous. So, uh, All right, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Who's got it? The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the, the what things? Secret. The secret things. So if you have a secret, that implies somebody knows something and somebody else doesn't, right? Could we all, could we all agree, maybe for just a second, that there might be things that God knows that we don't? Okay. So if we were drawing a Venn diagram... God's part would really have no boundaries, right? And there'd be a little speck, and that'd be what we know, okay? So the secret things, start over for me. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So the things revealed. So, so to reveal something, you have to have a revealer, right? Somebody who is showing others what has been concealed. So if God knows all, and if God has decided to reveal some to us, what's that relationship then look like? That relationship means I'm dependent upon Him to reveal for my understanding. 
Does that make sense? Basically, right? You, you, some of you uh, took classes in school, and you enjoyed. Some of you enjoyed some of those classes. <clears throat> Did anybody never enjoy a single class in school? Just like school as a whole was awful, and there was no component of it that was ever good. Justin, <laughs> thank you for your honesty, Justin. Uh, your bottle is waiting at home. That's, that, no, no, sorry. I couldn't have planned that one. That was pretty good, though. You got to admit, right? Uh, yeah, so, that, so there's some stuff that, that you study, and you go, well, this was kind of interesting. I wonder what the teacher is going to teach next time. Anybody ever have that thought in school about any subject? It's probably your favorite subject, maybe even the subject that you focused on either in high school or in college or uh, in, in some type of a work there where... I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what happens next. And what's, going, what's happening there is this, this teacher is revealing more and more and more, and you're dependent upon their understanding of the whole. Because if they have a flawed understanding of the whole, then we're going to have a flawed understanding of the parts. Does this make sense? Okay. So, um, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. So, <clears throat> let's get philosophical for just a second. Let's say that I think, apart from the scriptures, I think apart from the scriptures that I fully understand the universe and how it works. Okay? I fully understand the universe and how it works. The problem with that, the problem with this basic assumption, is that if there is a piece of information that exists, that is true, that I'm not familiar with, that could unravel or undo my understanding. Right? Okay? So unless I know everything, I can't be confident about anything. I didn't think it was funny, but okay. Oh. So unless I know everything, I can't be confident about anything. This is a philosophical argument. If you ever took uh, uh, philosophy or or logic classes in uh, high school or college, you may have come across this type of a, a concept. So here's the reality. The reality is I can either depend on my limited understanding of everything or I can rely on someone who does know everything, who is revealing to me a certain amount of information that is going to be consistent and true with the knowledge of all things. Does this make sense? Maybe? It's a dangerous thing to claim infallibility if you don't know all because there could always be something outside of what you know that could overrule or override or invalidate what you know. Does this make sense? Okay. So if we rely on the one who does know all, we're safe in that knowledge. We can actually have some confidence in any piece of knowledge. Um, Grudem puts it this way. For people who are not omniscient, the Bible is necessary for certain knowledge about anything. Now, if you're omniscient, you don't have to worry about it. You're good to go. Cool. Good luck with that. But this is why we must rely on the one who knows all, has seen all, and wants to communicate with us. It is really good. So there's a couple things that the Bible is not necessary for. A couple things that the Bible is not necessary for. The Bible is not necessary for knowing that God exists. This is built in and baked into man. We're going to spend some time in Romans here if you want to flip over to Romans. But the Grudem asked several questions. He says, what about people who don't read the Bible? Can they obtain any knowledge of God? Can they know anything about his laws? What's the answer to that? Yes. Absolutely yes. That's your blank. Yes is the answer. 
Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Right? You just look up. Um, there's an old story about Napoleon. Napoleon loved to mess with people. He loved to have philosophical conversations with uh, the brilliant minds of his day. And they were sailing out on a ship one night and he had several philosophers up on the deck. And the stars were out and they were debating whether God existed and they were debating this and debating that. And they, had a, they were all confident in their belief that, you know what, we're good. God doesn't exist. We have proven him to be non-existent. And he said, but messieurs, how do you explain these? And they were quiet. Because how do you, how do you explain that? Right? It's just not explainable. It's just not explainable. Uh, Acts 14, verses 16 and 17. Stay in Romans. I'm going to get there in just a second. Don't worry. Acts 14, verses 16 and 17. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So we understand just by our very existence that there is a God. And we can also understand that he is a good God because he gives us things that sustain us. These are big generalizations that we can understand about God just by existing and being on the earth. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, which kind of sounds strange, right? His invisible attributes are clearly seen. So what would be an invisible attribute of God that could be clearly seen? His love. What else? Perhaps his order. The the universe is a rather consistent thing. Um, That sun comes up and that sun goes down and the earth spins and... The universe rolls right on. It is very consistent. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, what's it say? Two of the saddest words in the whole Bible right there, guys. They're without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Let's back up a little bit. Look at verse uh, 18 in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, here we go again, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We'll keep going. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchange the truth of God for a lie. So these are people who are existing in the world, who are conscious that there is a God, and have decided to change that God into something else. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. 
For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And he goes on, and it's just, this is evil, this is evil, this is evil, this is evil, this is evil. And then verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. And that is scary stuff. This is really scary stuff. This means every person on the planet is guilty. This is a problem. And if we only understand the Scripture and the salvific work of Jesus Christ through the Scriptures, we have to know the Scriptures. So what does Romans 2, verses 14 and 15 say? Flip one page over. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Their conscience bears witness. This is why before you came to know Jesus Christ, when your mom asked you one day, did, did you know what you just did was wrong? Yes, I knew what I did was wrong. Yeah, it's because God put a conscience inside man. This is to trigger our self-awareness of our shortfalling so that when Jesus is shown, there's a need already planted. It's a beautiful, beautiful scenario. Grudem's quote here says, It's on this basis that Paul argues, here's your blank, that all humanity is held guilty before God for sin, even those who do not have the written laws of God in Scripture. And a lot of people really struggle with this concept that, well, what do you mean? If, if somebody doesn't have the Bible, they're still guilty. If somebody doesn't have the Bible, they're still guilty. That's on us as believers to get this news to them. That is part of what we are called to do. So a couple terms and then we'll finish up. Uh, the knowledge of God's existence, here's your next blank, character and moral law which comes through creation to humanity is often called, here's your blank, general revelation because it comes to all people generally. So this is the, I, I walk through nature, I see things are orderly, this inner sense of God's existence, this is what God puts in every person. The opposite of that is special revelation and this is God's words addressed to specific people. This would include all the words of the Bible, this would include all the words that the prophets said in a prophetic voice that are not included in the Bible. This would include all the words that Jesus spoke while he was on earth. And this would include all the words that God spoke to man that may not be recorded in the scriptures. So this is special revelation. Now, last blank here. Using these things, we can say that we need special revelation to interpret general revelation rightly. Because if I go through life with only an understanding that there is a God and that there's some structure there that he's put in place, but that's all I know, that is insufficient. It is necessary to have the scripture to come to a knowledge of salvation. Does this make sense? It is necessary for me to know what I'm missing for this plant to survive and to thrive. Now, it has, it has eked out in existence for the last six weeks. If it could speak, it would tell me what it needs, but it can't speak, so I'm struggling. But the Bible tells us both how we fall short and what we need and what the answer is. We still good? Any questions on this? No. Do I think the bonsai, that, that could be very possible. A bigger pot? Who votes a bigger pot may be helpful? Yes? More water? No. no. Less water? I need a...
Part three. I did. <laughs> he doesn't explain how they grow. He just he clips and clips and oh, it's beautiful, Daniel son. Oh, part three he does. Oh, well, I'll watch part three. That's good to know. See? <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. Oh, a schedule. That never occurred to me. It could be what? The humidity level. So there could be several variables, right? Do you have new windows? No. <laughs> there could be several variables, right? I didn't just ask that question on accident. There, there could be several variables, right? Yes. Yes. Just like there could be a lot of variables here. People walk through life wondering why there is pain with no answer. There's an answer for that. We have the answer. We know what that answer is. Go tell them what that answer is. So thank you for coming to Sunday School today. There's a sheet in the middle of your table where you can share your prayer requests. Pray as a group, and then you are dismissed. Thanks for coming.